When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. This week, we're talking electronic hearing protection with Jack Homa of ESP. Welcome back to the show for episode number Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription today. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, if you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. And by CZ USA Shotguns, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side-by-sides to the Upland Ultralight and Wing Shooter Elite over and unders. They've got pumps, they've got semi-autos. CZ USA has a shotgun for you. If you're in the market for your next Upland gun, head over to cz-usa.com. And by Gumleaf USA, high-quality, handcrafted, premium rubber boots that stand the test of time. I've been wearing Gumleaf boots for years now, and I love them. Still got my first pair. Head over to gumleafusa.com. Use the promo code PUP10 to save 10% on your next pair of boots. And by Dr. Callers. For over 30 years, Dr. has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-caller training, GPS tracking, and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. Head over to dogtra.com to learn more. 
and by electronic shooters protection custom fit custom molded hearing protection you're going to hear all about it today and you can learn more about it after today's episode by visiting espamerica.com and by sage and breaker maker of gun cleaning products that protect legacies the legacy of your firearm the legacy of the sport and the legacy of passing both down to future generations get your sage and breaker cleaning products today at sageandbreaker.com and by Trinity Kennels, home of the Epignol Breton, French Brittany Spaniels from Champion Bloodlines, field tested and family approved for over 30 years. You can learn more about Trinity Kennels by checking out Project Upland Podcast number 88 or by visiting trinitykennels.org. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels, unparalleled protection, one-piece rotomole design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe, and successful hunting trip tomorrow morning i'm hitting the road early i'm heading to south dakota to meet up with greg cronkite of dakota 283s gonna chase some birds talk kennels probably do a podcast you'll hear more about it in an upcoming episode for now head over to dakota283.com check out all of their products all right this week's winner of the podcast giveaway brady s a wisconsin upland bird hunter hadn't tried grouse hunting Send us an email, let us know he got inspired by a few of our episodes, mainly some of our conversations with Ann Janderna. Brady went up north, put his dog in the woods, flushed some grouse, flushed some woodcock, bagged a bird, sent me a picture, told me all about it. Another new grouse hunter and another upland bird hunter exploring the world of opportunity that we have. It's good stuff, Brady. Project Upland t-shirt headed his way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review in your podcast app. Subscribe to the show. Share the podcast. Send us an email, some feedback, or a guest suggestion. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, let's get into today's interview. If you've been listening to the podcast, you've probably heard me talk about ESP, Electronic Shooters Protection, a little bit in some of our intros. Well, today we've got the owner of the company, Jack Homa, on the show to talk all about electronic hearing protection, hearing loss, the things Upland Bird Hunters should be considering, and of course, where ESP fits into that mix. Without further ado, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast from Electronic Shooters Protection, Jack Homa. All right, Jack, that's enough of that. Why don't we jump into it? And I'd like to welcome you to the Project Upland podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great today. You're on Denver, right? Uh, yep, outside of Denver, out in the country. Okay. Clear clear side, clear skies and a little bit chilly today. All right. What is a little bit chilly in Denver in November? Uh, well, right now the normals are about 40 degrees, okay. 45 high in the daytime, and that'll get down into the teens at night. Okay. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty good. I would like to see 40s every day at this point in time. And as we were uh, joking a little bit yesterday, I've got some, once again, I've got snow over here that I would love to see melt, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen this time. We had we had 70 degree weather last week into the weekend. And then a couple of days later, it, the temps fell and now we've got four inches of snow on the ground. You must have had some heat out there last week. Last week was a little cooler, but okay. the week before was heat. Okay. In October, we had one day where it was pushing ninety, and wow. the next day we had six inches of snow. <laughs> and that's that's in the in the flatlands. Sure. Um, people get confused with Colorado. The difference between uh, the mountains and not the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything east east of Denver is flatland, yep. and it's prairie, it's plains, and uh, the mountains are totally different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you see any upland birds out your window? Do you got any birds around there, Jack? 
Well, I just saw some uh, nice flock of geese flying by. Okay. Okay. Uh, see a few. See a few dove around here. Um, pheasants are rare, and but we do see them occasionally. Yeah. Well, I'm a little bit ahead of ahead of myself here, Jack. So I I would like you to introduce yourself and give us the elevator speech on ESP. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Jack Homa, and I am the owner of ESP Electronic Shooters Protection. I purchased the company uh, January 3rd of 96 from the uh, founder, uh, who was an audiologist here in Denver, and he, as far as we know, was the first one to come up with the custom all-in-the-ear electronic hearing protection really? uh, type product. Prior to that, there was the Walker Game Ear behind-the-ear unit, yep. but uh, Don came up with the custom all-in-the-ear version of it. His son started a company out of it. They decided they didn't want to pursue it, and I was the lucky recipient, uh, like I say, in 1996. Gotcha. And I've been doing it ever since. Whether or not it's still relevant today, do you have an idea, or did you hear from the original founders of the company? What was their motivation? Were they were they hunters? Were they shooters? What was the foundation of the company? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, they they were they were hunters. Okay. Uh, the whole family was hunters, and uh, I, at least I know uh, the the father, uh, the audiologist. He was also a competitive shooter. Okay, and I do remember he was one of the first ones on the uh, ten millimeter bandwagon way back when. Okay. when it was hot back in the in the nineties. Okay. What is your background, Jack? How did you come to be the owner of this company? Were you in audiology? Nope. Uh, the uh, The short story is I spent about 23 years in the telephone industry. Okay. And in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of changing and consolidation. And after uh, third time losing my job because of acquisitions, it uh, seemed like the company I was with was always the acquired company, and acquired employees are usually the first ones to go. And so I got downsized a couple of times and decided I was going to do something for myself and started searching around for something to do. And it was totally by accident that I stumbled across ESP. And uh, I wasn't, wasn't into shooting or hunting at that time, uh, but it was a technology product, and I just there was something, I saw something in it that said this was the right thing to do. And uh, it sure was. <laughs> <laughs> that was back in back in 96. So we are uh, we're well, well into Well started looking in ni- yeah, started looking in 95. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, the first DSPs were created in probably 94. I never did get a good answer when they they started their company early 95, but the product was actually created in probably 1994. Okay. And what is the current ESP product lineup look like because I know I've got I've got one model of ESPs which I think are a, a more recently released the the Apex model but what does the lineup look the Apex, like Apex yeah. yes uh, well we still have four four different models to hit different price points okay um, we have we have one older technology which is analog technology in the Elite Classic that that's um, probably one of the best price points for at nine hundred dollars a pair. And then we have um, uh, three three digital models: uh, the Elite Digital, the Stealth, and now the Apex. And the Apex uh, is we actually struggled with the name. We were going to thought about calling it Pinnacle because it is kind of the pinnacle of the technology that's available, especially when it comes to outdoor use. 
we use we utilize all hearing aid technology mm-hmm. from that aspect. And the Apex model adds wind management. Uh, some algorithms that the the chip manufacturer, the amplifier manufacturer, was working on. They tell me for four years to come up with this. Okay. And it manages the environmental white noise, so, so to speak, that wind makes in the environment, and then automatically retunes the circuit to eliminate the effects of that noise. Got it. And those are so it works works great on the prairie. Yeah, yeah. Those those are definitely the the Apex model are the ones that I have, and I have I have worn them this year. I haven't worn them. I haven't started wearing them exclusively, and and I'll, maybe we'll get into that later. But it's just this weird thing I have about having a, such familiarity and a sense of hunting without wearing ear protection or electronic hearing, I guess. And so I'm kind of dipping my toe in the water because I have these ESPs to try. And you know, if I can't wear these, what can I wear? So I, I can say that I've worn them shooting clays, and I've worn them a number of times. And the the electronic hearing performance in them is. I mean, it's the best thing I've ever worn, which I haven't tried a bunch of these. I've tried a few, but yeah, wind noise and other things on the clay range that, that I've experienced are not a problem. And I'm actually quite impressed with how they do perform. And we're definitely going to get into a little bit more of the, the technical specs on maybe some of the different models and, and some things that people could expect when hearing them. But I do know that from our conversation yesterday, since taken over at ESP, you have had the chance to do a little hunting and, and shooting, and uh, you wear these products yourself, Jack. Oh, absolutely, yes. And as a matter of fact, it's back in, back in the 90s, our target market at that time was primarily the sporting clays market. Okay. reason for that is they shoot a lot. I mean, they go, I mean, we've got customers that shoot 30, 40, 50,000 rounds a year. And so we figured that you know, with limited limited budgets and marketing, like most companies have, you target target your biggest pool of customers. And so uh, we targeted the sporting clays market from that aspect, and uh, it it went over real well. So the problem with ESPs or any electronic device, it's not a problem. It's the customer, just like yourself, getting familiar and forgetting that you're wearing them. Yep. The brain plays a stupid trick on us. The conscious brain says, I just stuffed an earplug in my ear, so I can't possibly be hearing normally. So the brain wants to hear a differential from what's normal to what I just stuffed in my ear. And so people have a tendency to turn them up louder than they need to be to replicate their natural hearing. Okay. So they, they want to hear that. The brain wants to hear that difference. Once you get over the uh, thinking about the earplugs being in your ear, which is the same problem that hearing aid users have, new hearing aid users, once you forget you're wearing them, you literally forget you're wearing them, and the world just sounds normal to you, and you just go on with uh, with your life. I, many times, uh, because of going around to shows and all the time, and I'll have my earplugs in for the in my demo kit, so to speak, and then I go out to shoot. Well, I left them in the demo kit. I didn't have them with me, and you find that once you're used to hearing normally when you're out shooting, and you don't have them, you really notice you don't have them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty. That's interesting, and I think I, I think yeah, you're speaking to to definitely some of the things that I've experienced, and I have uh, I've got at least one friend that has a pair of VSPs, and we've we've talked about this and kind of uh, walked through some of these things a little bit, and I do know that there's a little bit of time investment that I need to put into these things and just wearing them in the uplands. I think there's there's some unique things about upland hunting that I think put barriers in place where 
we sort of make justifications on why we don't need these things. And it's all a catch 22 because, you know, we're damaging our hearing, which we can never get back. And I know a lot of old grouse hunters that they, they tell me they can hardly hear the grouse flush anymore, which for somebody that loves a grouse hunt, that's kind of a scary thing. And I, I certainly don't want that to happen, which is why I was interested in ESPs and why I'm trying to tackle this this conversation and this topic really because I want to get myself along with others over some of these hurdles. Well, being that you mentioned grouse specifically, yeah. uh, grouse has a unique scenario when it comes to flushing. Sure. We, we've actually uh, uh, obtained a spectral analysis of the sound that a grouse makes when it flushes. Love it. And it turns out that grouse flushing is a very low frequency. Mm-hmm. So low frequencies don't travel real well. I mean, that's why uh, we have subwoofers with our stereo systems to get, you know, big speakers to make more sound is because of low frequency. So when you start developing hearing loss from shooting or any any hearing loss, your low frequencies, uh, you know, start suffering. And so, yes, you don't hear the grouse flushing. And then you add in the, the more typical hearing loss, which is in the high frequency area, it just compounds the problem. So having the amplified... Uh, Hearing protection so that you hear becomes more important for for flushing. Yeah, um, I've got a number of anecdotal stories. Uh, uh, one was a, a customer of mine out of California. He had a, as he called it, his adopted grandfather, an older gentleman that he would take hunting with him, and they would go to the Dakotas every year for grou- uh, for not grouse uh, pheasant. Yeah, and the the older gentleman would come home basically empty-handed all the time because he couldn't hear any flushing. And with his older reflexes, when he finally would see the grouse, or the, excuse me, the pheasants, it was a little too far off to, to hit. So he bought him a set of ESPs. First year he went out with them, he came home with his limit because he can now hear the bird flushing and therefore react faster and get on the bird before it got away from him. Uh, so it, it does make a difference. The other thing that hunting without hearing protection has a problem. There's a problem in, or a situation in hearing called temporary threshold shift. And what that is, is when we're exposed to a loud noise, like gunfire, that the ears will start to, the mother nature tries to shut our ears down and close them off basically from, from loud sounds. And once you fire that first shot, that temporary threshold shift comes into play. So now naturally, you're hearing worse than your normal hearing anyway. And the more you, sh- more you shoot at birds, the worse your thre- threshold shift gets, closing, closing down your ears. And one of the, one of the ways that you can, pe- most people will recognize is when they go to a concert. They go to a yes. concert and they come out and, and their head and their ears feel kind of numb uh, when they come out of the concert for a few hours. That's temporary threshold shift. And that, that's very recognizable in that environment. But we, for some reason, don't seem to recognize that in the hunting environment. So that's a real good reason why you wear hearing protection when you hunt or when you shoot guns, period, no matter what it's for. And that's the situation that electronic hearing protection solves, whether it's plugs or muffs or whatever, is it keeps you protected from that temporary threshold shift because it lets you hear everything that's going on around you but still have the protection. I may have heard that concept described a little bit before, but the way you the way you lay it out in the two examples, the concert, you know, I can I can still recall uh when I was 18 years old walking out of a Metallica concert and I know I lost some hearing uh after that show. It was a it was a fun show, but I really wished I had earplugs. I was uh not thinking 
thinking ahead at that point. But you know, it's funny you mentioned you know in hunting here in here in the gunshots. I think I had an instance the other day where we got into some birds and there was just kind of a volley of shooting and like that feeling is is recent in my mind. That feeling of something off with my hearing or it's just it's chaotic and you can I can sort of feel those things going on in my head. So the the point of the the hearing protection would be to keep you at a more consistent level so you don't have that shift going on. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and the and the flushing birds thing is is again that is that's the huge part about especially, you know, grouse hunting when your shot opportunities are so limited due to thick cover, which I know you've experienced, Jack, and and you had told me you'd spent some time up at the Rough Grouse Society National Hunt. Hearing the bird is one of the biggest that's that's one of the ways the hunter can actually get an advantage over the bird is you need to hear it as soon as possible because as most of us understand, I think, you know, you're hearing one of your senses and you need all your senses going to get the better of a rough grouse flying through thick cover that's for sure so that's that's one of those things where i i can hear them now but if i don't protect my hearing you know i could reach a point where i can't hear them and then what does the hunting turn into at that point right and and also finding your dog that's lost uh yes yes we, we now have gps technology <laughs> to help us with that a little bit but it's nice to be able to hear them too <laughs> yes uh i mean and and beepers, beeper collars and mm-hmm. bells are typically high frequencies. High frequencies are typically the first thing to go with hearing loss. So you end up becoming at more of a disadvantage with that part of the hunt is the, you can't hear the the dogs. I mean, and, and it's not necessarily a lost dog, but like in the grass cover, it's thick cover. You can't see the dog. Yep. You are depending on your beeper collar to know which way they went and where they're pointing. <laughs> yes. Yep, and it, and there's a safety aspect to that too, which I know you'll understand, Jack. The I've just, I've been thinking more about this lately, where so much happens in such a short period of time. Again, kind of referring to shooting at birds in thick cover, where there's all this stuff that your brain is doing in the background. It's one of the reasons I run a bell on my dog because it gives me that constant awareness of where the dog is. And so, if something does happen fast, you're my your brain has kind of like projected this landscape around you where okay i've got i can hear my hunting partner to my left i can hear my dog over to my right then i hear the bird flush in between us it's a safe shot and all that stuff is being calculated and done in milliseconds which any loss in hearing or senses is is going to affect all those things right well yeah the, the, the brain is a pretty amazing computer and there's a a lot of background processing in computer terms that happen that we don't even we're not even consciously aware of yep. and like you say it's just a sense that you your your brain has figured out that tra- all that triangulation of where you, the, you know your hunting buddies are where the dogs are at where the birds flushing it's all done in background processing yeah you've touched a little bit of, on hearing loss i wonder is there anything more to go into there just because I mean, I think I'm making a lot of obvious statements here about hearing loss and wanting to maintain some level of hearing and why it's important in the grouse woods. I'm not, I'm not breaking any news there to our listeners, but what can you tell us about hearing loss, the effects, what it, you know, what it takes, and I guess the downward trend of someone's hearing can look like? You know, what have you seen from your customers and clients? Well, hearing loss traditionally, or, or in most cases, is a gradual process. Yep. And so just like our, our body's getting weaker as we age and we atrophy and things like that, um, it's a slow process. And then all of a sudden we wake up one day and find out we're 20 pounds too heavy or whatever. Sure. 
you know, we can't we can't do the hike up the hill like we used to, you know, the things like that. And then one day we wake up and decide, you know, well, geez, I really can't. You know, my wife's always complaining the TV's too loud. And yeah, I finally realized that. Yeah, I used to listen to the TV on number on number seventeen, and now I'm at thirty two yep. <laughs> type thing. <laughs> so it's it's a slow process in a lot of cases, and it does affect our life. It, the recent studies have come out in the journals that hearing loss also can cause early onset dementia or dementia-like symptoms. Really? Just because you're at a lack of your senses? Right. Yeah, your sensory inputs are are lacking, and and you start to just close off from the world because, well, I can't hear it, so my brain's not paying attention to anything. We don't get the stimulus to keep our brains active. So, yeah, it, it could be an insidious problem. It's also very frustrating. So... You've been around the the old guys sitting around, sitting around after the hunt, yep. and everybody is going uh huh, nodding their head. Well, they don't necessarily hear hear what you said. They're just you know grinning and nodding to try to be be social, yep. and that's that's something. I mean that that happens. I, I mean I saw that in my father in his older age. He he worked for the railroad uh, from. 27 years and his hearing was pretty bad well he also developed macular degeneration and when his eyesight went his hearing got 50 percent worse wow now it really didn't it didn't his Uh comprehension got worse gotcha because he could no longer read lips sure yep he was unconsciously reading lips to get the uh, intelligence out of what people were saying and when he lost his eyesight the comprehension level went down, so it it made it look like his hearing got worse. It, it didn't. It didn't change. Yeah. But those, those kind of things can happen to us, and so protecting our hearing. You know, when I got when I got into ESP, it was you know more of a technology business uh, type proposition. But I, as I started studying things and reading the the hearing journals and things like that, I definitely became an evangelist for hearing protection. And and I'll tell people that you know. ESPs or any any of our any of our competitors, electronic earplugs or electronic devices are not technically a better hearing protection. Right. Uh, it's still an earplug that provides the protection. The electronics really have nothing to do with the inherent protection levels, which a lot of other manufacturers kind of intimate that it does. It is not noise cancellation. It doesn't do anything magic. Okay. It's just shutting down the amplifier when the gunshot goes off. What makes electronic devices better? is your ability to hear in between the gunshots. And so you tend to leave your earplugs in all the time, unlike some hunters we know up in uh, Duluth, Minnesota, <laughs> that um, <laughs> sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Right. Um, <laughs> that, you know, if you leave them in all the time, there's an old, he's, he's long gone now, but uh, you may have heard of the writer Michael McIntosh. Yes. Michael was a prolific writer, I think he was an English teacher before his retirement, and very, very great writer. And we got him some ESPs in the early days, and I mean, we're talking like 96, 97. Wow. And he wrote, he wrote an article, and I think it was in Shooting Sportsman, that it was very humorous. It, it started off like a comedy routine between him and his girlfriend. Uh, she was washing dishes and had, had her back turned to him, and she was talking to him, and and he was making what he thought was the correct answer to the questions, and it was not even what she asked. And he wrote the story about his hearing loss and all that type of stuff. Uh, this is and this is the day, you know, before technology changed. My voicemail box filled up. The only time it ever happened, 
was when that, that article hit the newsstands. Yeah. My voicemail just filled up. But Michael did write that he had been wearing ESPs at the time for, by the time the article got out, it was a couple of years. And he went and had his hearing tested every year, and his hearing loss didn't change once he started using them. So he, he had managed to stop the damage that he was continuing to you know cause yep. by hunting without hearing protection. So it's imperative that you do it, you wear it all the time. The best hearing protection is whatever you wear consistently, all the time. I mean, I kn- I've known a, n- a number of clay shooters. Every time they go to the sporting clays they, or trap range or whatever, they got their hearing protection in. As soon as they put on their hunting boots, they leave it at home. Yep. And as you've experienced, you, you know, you, we've talked about the temporary threshold shifts and the, you know, the little damage. And every time we do it, it's, it starts more damage. Yep. Yeah, my resistance to it, which I know is, I mean, I know I'm not alone in that, but it's, it just seems so silly when you talk about it like this logically. And, you know, I really, I owe it to myself, most of all, to, to give it a shot and wear them, you know, consistently every single time and, and work through it. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, I guess, before I ask you this, well, no, I'll, I'll start with this. I want you to tell me a little bit about where we have come from in electronic hearing and you know if you want to go back to 96 like where are we at today what what do the apex represent versus where we've come from when you first started with ESP well just the g- generic improvements in electronics yep. uh, amplifiers sound processing uh, just like you know the differences in the the radios in our cars to our cell phones sure. uh, to our stereo systems you know, there's all the, all the processing that has changed. In the original ESPs, the thought process was a little bit weird. It was an assumption was made that if people are out shooting, they all everybody will have some level of hearing loss, and so the originals were designed to have extra amplification in the high frequencies to compensate for that. Well, it turns out that not everybody that wanted these already had bad hearing loss, and so we were overcompensating. So the original circuits and the original design philosophy was a little bit flawed in that we made them too bright and too sensitive. And one of the early complaints was, you know, I could hear the guy rattling the shells in his shell pouch or, you know, clicking the change in his pocket, things like that. So we quickly pivoted and decided to go to replicate natural hearing as best as possible so that the ESPs become in, invisible to your brain as uh, a straight, you know, pass-through of Mother Nature sound. Yep. And over the years, with technology improvements, with uh, the circuitry, the speakers, the microphones, etc., that go into all this, uh, that just keeps evolving and improving. Uh, to the point now, with the Apex, uh, it's, it's a very high-end circuitry, and probably, you know, it's about as best as you can get in the, in the industry, uh, whether it's in the hearing aid industry or you know, what we're doing with it as far as shooter's protection. Yep. Okay, so I, I think we've danced around this, and I, you know, you almost make the assumption that most folks understand what we're talking about, but could you walk me through, and if you want to single out the Apex or a specific model, could you tell me, describe that unit in what's inside it and how it functions? Well, the unit uh, from a mechanical to build is actually fairly simplistic looking. Uh, there's yep. an amp- obviously an amplifier circuit. There's a microphone, speaker, battery, and a volume control, and the earplug itself. And basically, that's the components that go into it. 
the the magic is is just like in your you know computer. It, it's you know what kind of processor do you have in the computer? Sure. So it's it's that amplifier circuit that's the heart and soul of of what makes up a, uh, a hearing aid or electronic shooter's device. You know that's where all the features are. That's where the technology goes into to make it happen. And when we start comparing our R four models, we use different levels in, of technology, which uh, just like any other type of thing, uh, it there's different costs associated with it. And so there's the different models. The simplistic way of describing the difference between uh, the, the Elite Classic to the Elite Digital, the Stealth to the Apex, it's somewhat like going from listening to AM radio to FM to CD to iPod. Yeah. The better the circuit, the better the sound reproduction of what you're listening to in between gunshots. You did mention the Elite Classic was analog and yeah, I think the analogies probably make sense, you know, AM to FM, but what exactly what exactly is the difference between that model, the analog model and, and the other three? It's the circuit that's inside. Okay. Uh, it's the sound processing type type circuitry. And so it when we start talking if we start talking in the real technical area and start talking about bandwidth and things like that, it's just like when you buy a set of speakers or headphones or something like that, they will come with a specification that they reproduce sounds from 75 hertz up to 8,000 hertz, or they'll go down to 50 hertz up to 10,000 hertz. So that's you know how much highs and how much lows it can produce. Sure, and that's what adds to the the warmthness and the and the natural reproduction of sound. The the more bandwidth, you know, the higher end stereo, you know, does real good at real low frequencies, does real good at real high frequencies. Are those important for pure intelligence of sound? Not necessarily, but it adds to the, it, you start to get into uh, sound processing and harmonics and, and the different layers of sound that our, our brain can interpret, and that's what just improves the quality of sound. Yeah. You're talking about sound and radios. It just it just gave me a thought. If you go to a concert, Jack, do you wear your ESPs? Should I wear these to my, the next concert I go to? No. <laughs> so, okay. Um, and, and the reason why, I mean, from a protection standpoint, that will work. Yeah. The problem with concerts, um, uh, before all this mess started, uh, we went to uh, to Las Vegas to uh, Aerosmith, and uh, yep. and we were, I mean, well, let's let's put it this way: I could have easily tossed a, a ball up on the stage from where I was sitting. Okay. So we were pretty close to it. <laughs> And being that it was a resident show, uh, they had a really good sound system there. Very, and Aerosmith is very loud. Yeah. Uh, the problem with the ESPs is the circuits and microphones are not designed for that high of a level of sound, and they go into distortion. Kind of, over, it'd get overloaded. Uh, yeah, they 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 overload it. They yeah. overdrive it. Okay. Uh, you with your you know your podcasting and stuff, you know, with you know the stuff you see. In the uh, in the electronics, that if you have too high of an input sound, it starts getting distorted. So yeah, e- uh, ESPs, electronic devices, don't work well for that. Uh, what I use when I go to concerts is what's called a musician's earplug. It's a filtered earplug using a precision filter in it. And what those do is the design of the filter is a what they call a flat frequency response. So it reduces all of the frequencies equally to keep the sound as natural as possible. A 
typical earplug, whether it's a foam earplug, a custom-built silicone earplug, uh, any, any type of product, has a different frequency attenuations. One of the best out there is a, uh, a material um, that it was, it was actually an accident. It was designed for, to make the earplugs floatable, and when they put the microspheres in the material to make it floatable, they found out at really good high-frequency attenuation. So if you look at the chart, the high frequencies are blocked. It's, it's like off the graph. Uh, they did so well. And so in a music environment, that's not good because a lot of your music is towards the higher frequency level. Sure. You know, whether you're talking, you know, horns or vocalists, uh, you know, guitars, you know, the high, high frequencies of the guitars when they get all the way up on the neck. So you start losing those. So that's where a musician's earplug comes into play. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned I'm as as you're talking and as all my guests talk when I'm I guess it depends on which platform I'm using, but today I'm I'm watching your sound levels bounce around Jack and you're right in the green. If you get all excited and and you start getting up into the red and yellow, then I have to turn you down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I happen to be uh, blessed or cursed with a uh, a voice for radio. <laughs> <laughs> that I tend to be a little bit on the lower spectrum. <laughs> so I, I seem to do pretty good with uh, electronics in that aspect. Yeah, I would definitely say uh, you're, uh, you've are you got a podcasting voice. Now, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but the earplug, the musician's earplugs that you wear to a concert, are they, are they blocking out all the sound? Because I think I've bought some earplugs before, and I, I wondered if I should be... You know, I thought about wearing these hunting. I never did, but they're like kind of, I think they're called percussive hearing protection where there's a little flap inside the earplug and when a loud noise comes, it closes that flap and blocks that sound. And I know from what I understand is the consistency of those plugs will go, it will degrade over time because that flap is like a mechanical thing. Um, am I in the, in the wheelhouse at all there? Oh, absolutely! Okay. Yeah, it's the, it's called the sonic valve. Okay, uh, they've been around for uh, forever. Uh, been around for a long time, and two issues with that on on a grouse hunt, it's typically not that bad of a product because you're not taking that many shots. Yep. To wear them to the trap range, you know, one of the things with with going to uh, sh- competitive shooting, people say, "Well, I only shoot a hundred rounds," you know, at, at a round of sporting clays. Yeah, but You've got five other people on your squad, so you're Correct. really talking 600 rounds yep. uh, when, uh, in an outing. And yes, the mechanical valve is relatively slow to, to close, and it's, it does do a, some level of protection, but it's not the greatest. And then there's some other types of, of valving technology, uh, like uh, Hawks, Hawks, H-O-C-K-S, noise breakers, which use a, a passive... Uh, it's actually a thermal reaction to uh, close down the valve. And those, those again, uh, for an occasional shot, they work fine. But even with those, what you're dealing with is you're still letting the outside sounds come through a little hole. Yes. So you're reducing it in general and then trying to protect from the concussiveness of the loud sound. So you're, you're, you're diminishing your hearing anyway yeah. by wearing those. It's, it's not going to let everything through. Yeah. With, with the electronic devices, we can let the full spectrum of sound through, and then through the beauty of electronics, within one or two milliseconds, depending on the circuit, uh, we can shut off the amplifier when it recognizes that loud sound. So it reacts instantaneously, 
Uh, that's one part of it. The second part is we have limiters in there that if you could actually hear what was going on, we limit the output of the amplifier to keep it safe. But if you could hear in that two milliseconds of what happens, there'd be, there'd be a level of distortion, just like we talked about at the concerts. There'd be a level of distortion going on, but because it's so rapid, you don't hear it. Yeah. And then we return the amplifier to normal at a, in about 400 milliseconds to back to normal when the loud sound goes away. And so in a, in a, in a single-shot environment, you won't even notice that the amplifier cut out and came back to normal. Yeah. In a, at your uh, local uh, rent-a-machine-gun place, uh, the full time you pull the trigger, it's going to stay in, in compression, stay in its limiting mode until you stop shooting. Or in a, you know, in a round of clays where, you know, there's multiple shots going on around you. Uh, it's fast enough that with the uh, intermittent shooting, you can still carry on a conversation because it reacts so quick. That was definitely one of the things that I wanted to wanted to talk to you about was latency and the time. You mentioned one to two milliseconds for this thing to turn off. I feel like a grouse gets into the air in about two milliseconds, Jack, but maybe you could put that into perspective <laughs> for me. Well, um, it's the grouse, the grouse is uh, actually a little bit, uh, if they're sitting on a tree branch and, and launch, yeah, they're pretty darn quick. <laughs> but if they're a ground bird, uh, as you know, they've got to levitate first. Yeah. And then, you know, they, so it's a vertical takeoff, and then they transition to flight. Uh, it's, it's actually a lot longer than you think. Yeah. The problem with the ground bird is we hear it, we have to locate it, and then we, we have to, you know, see it to, before we can take a shot. And so we got to wait till it gets up out of the brush before we can see it, and then the brain has to calculate where it is, which way direction it's going, which way it's flushing, and then get, get the gun up and get get on the shot. So it's it's actually a lot longer than the two milliseconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I I think I picked up in there that you said it would it would turn on after four hundred milliseconds. Is that is that like the the average? You know, as long as there's no noise continuing, but is that like the average length of a gunshot? Is that 400 milliseconds? I'm trying to. What I'm trying to do is is understand like how long a millisecond really is. Well, actually, it's one one thousandth. Of oh a yeah, second. that's right. Million yeah. thousand. Yeah. yeah. One one thousandth of a second. Yeah. Well, we call it attack and release. How, how attack is how fast it reacts to a, a sound. Yeah. And releases when when it goes back to normal. Four hundred seemed to be the sweet spot in the fact that. If you extend the release time out, you will start hearing gaps in the surrounding sound, in the conversation you're having with your buddy while somebody else is shooting, because it's going up and down. If you shorten it up too much, the gunshot will sound too loud. Sure. It's really not going to hurt you because of the limiters on the output, the overall limit, but it's going to sound too loud and be irritating. So 400 is about four-tenths of a second. Uh, is the is the sweet spot that we came up with on that, as far as is doing that. Gotcha. And and I don't I don't really I don't intend to draw so much attention to this because I can speak to the real world wearing of these plugs. You know, wearing them at I, I wore them shooting clays out at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, and there's nothing noticeable that you would say, "Gosh, I, I couldn't hear what Jerry said," or "I heard that gunshot." I mean, it's all finely finely tuned and. You know, as I think about this, there's so many 
there's other hunting scenarios where like if I was sitting, you know, and I've talked about this with folks, if I was sitting in a duck blind or a, a goose layout blind, I mean, it would be an absolute no brainer to wear this stuff. You're not moving around. You're sitting there. You can see everything. You've got lots of gunshots going off when they do happen. It would be a no brainer to wear this stuff. I don't, you know, again, I, I talk about the resistance to these things in the uplands when you're walking through the brush and the cover and everything is so highly focused on getting on the bird as fast as possible. Those are the things that, that I think about, but again, I'm just, I don't know if I'm making excuses or just resisting. <laughs> well, um, I, I had a, had a customer came to me and got a set of ESPs and he was a, uh, Pigeon shooter. Okay. Pigeon, you know, box bird shoots. Yep. And he came back after after his first use of them, and he said, these things are absolutely wonderful. I can now tell which box right, right left, or center is, is the solenite. I can hear the solenite going off. Sure. To know which bird's going to launch. Now, if you could just tell me which of the three boxes on the right, <laughs> uh, you know, that type of thing. And the other thing you talk about, the waterfowling. Uh, during the season, I get... A number of calls on typically Tuesday and Wednesday after the weekend hunt. Okay. Yeah, Joe swung that barrel over my head and blasted away. My ears are still ringing. I've got to do something. And so, you know, in duck blinds, it's that's that's a big problem because you're shoulder to shoulder typically with big booming guns. Yep. With the barrel swinging in every different direction, and you're getting blasted. Not good. <laughs> yep, yep, not good at all, for sure. And again, I, you know, we don't mean to continue talking about this stuff that's that's so obvious. I, w- I wanted to, of course, have a conversation about hearing loss, hearing protection, electronic shooting protection. And, you know, one of the other things that you touched on, Jack, with technology and something that I think we've probably, again, the cell phone analogy would work well here when you first when the iPhones first came out it was like you better not get a drop of water on them because you're going to be out of phone but today all the phones are waterproof dustproof that sort of thing tell me about where the ESPs are with that right now well uh, a couple of years ago uh, we uh, uh, obtained the P2I nano coating waterproofing technology which is the same technology that Samsung uses on their phones um, I just got in yesterday a brand new Bluetooth earbud f- from Plantronics, which is now called Poly. Okay. They changed their name recently. Interesting. And read in the instructions, P2I waterproofing. Uh, it's the it's the, the number one waterproofing nano coating in the world uh, that we use. And when once the ESPs are assembled, they're put into a ionization chamber and they're just flooded inside and out with the uh, waterproofing nano coating. When we first got into this, uh, P2I sent me some of their uh, demo props that they use at trade shows, and one of them is tissue paper, Kleenex, that they treated with their, their process. And you could set up Kleenex tissue paper on the, on the table or hold it in your hand and pour water on it, and it runs right off. Wow. Tissue paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I've often wondered about sort of the waterproofing of a cell phone and for this we'll talk about you know I, i'm it has to do with this coating so is that coating it's going in say the small little holes where i would hear and is it just thin enough that we can still hear through it is it totally sealing this unit how does it actually work it's it's a uh surfacant if you will okay 
that is it's uh, at the nano level it's a very small uh, molecule so that it's basically transparent to the sound and so it gets into the speakers and microphones okay uh, they they're it's totally transparent to them and the the water it's hydrophobic so if you were to put a drop of water on the faceplate of your your earplug. Hold, hold your earplug in your hand. Go drop some wa- a drop of water. Yep. It'll just beat up. Okay. Uh, think think a Rain-X for your car car yep. windshield. Yep. Uh, where it just beads up. That's what it does. It yep. doesn't allow it to. It resists spreading out. Got it. Yep. So these things are now to a certain to a certain extent. I personally don't like the term waterproof. I know. Yep. Only because the bat the batteries themselves are not coated. Because they're disposable. Obviously, they didn't go through the process. Yep. And the batteries, if they get wet, they can corrode. So um, if you do get them wet, take the batteries out. <laughs> yeah. If you do get them wet, don't put them away in the case and let them soak in their wetness. Just, I mean, treat it like you would treat your gun. Yeah. You know, if you're hunting in the rain or the snow, uh, you don't put the gun back in the case and, and pull it out next weekend because it'll have problems. Yes. Uh, same thing with the earplugs. Is if they get wet? You know, pull them out. I just had a situation uh, earlier this this summer. A guy from the uh, uh, USPSA, uh, t- the tactical shooting guys. Okay. He lost one of his ESPs at the range down in Florida, and it sat out in the weather for four months. And they actually found it. He dusted it, he dusted it off, put a new battery in, no problem. Wow. And we know Florida gets a little bit of rain. <laughs> and did they know it was his because his name was on it? <laughs> yep. And plus, he had told everybody I lost. He was panicked. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He lost them all. <laughs> you know. Oh, uh, that's incredible. That's good. I mean, yeah. Like you said, we have a lot of stuff now that is, you know, they have these different waterproof ratings, IPX seven, and stuff to kind of indicate how waterproof it is and whether it's submergible. But I think. Most people have a pretty good understanding that, you know, we still try to avoid, you know, we're not going to go dunk these things on purpose unless it was for the sake of a review or something, but we still try to take care of our equipment. Yep. Well, and the other thing is, too, uh, with ESPs, we had a situation many, many years ago before we even had the waterproofing that was uh, down in Florida. We had a sporting clays major tournament, and it started raining on Thursday evening. It didn't stop till Sunday morning. And we had a number of customers out there wearing their ESPs throughout the whole thing. And the I only had one person come to me with a failure. And I, if anything, the rain cleaned his earplugs off. They were that bad. <laughs> I don't think it was. I don't think it was a rain issue gotcha. with his. Gotcha. Um, but uh, you know, they're in your ear, so they are somewhat protected to begin with while yeah. they're in your ear. Yeah. And uh, but water has not typically been a problem. Now, I did have one duck hunter out in California, lost his ESPs, waited till the next year's duck season was about ready to start, said, I can't find them, i got to get some new ones. Got his new ones, went back to the same duck club that he met was a member of, and there they were sitting on the shelf in the duck blind. <laughs> By that time, they were a little toasted. <laughs> sure, sure. They were exposed for 12 months. Yep. All right, Jack, let's talk about the process of getting... ESP plugs, which I can speak to. I'll let you describe it, but it was my experience was incredibly simple. Couldn't believe it. Yep. Uh, basically, what we need is a set of impressions of your ears, uh, commonly known as molds. Yep. 
Uh, but we like the term impression because in the hearing aid world, a ear mold is a finished product where an impression is what ear molds start from. So they're more used to the term impression. So we need a set of impressions of the ear. Uh, any audiologist hearing aid place can do those. We have a number of audiologists uh, that are dealers of ours, and so they can handle the whole process. But if we don't have one convenient, any, any audiologist can do that. Typically runs 50 to $75 range for a set of molds. And uh, if it's not one of our dealers, uh, if you're doing it you know, kind of on your own, send us a copy of the receipt. We'll deduct it from the bill so it's just like going to a dealer. And uh, then optional, we do have the ability to custom tune these to a hearing test. So if your hearing is bad, uh, we can, you know, if you give me a copy of a hearing test, we'll custom tune them and, and uh, make them sound better for you. Interesting. That part I didn't do. I didn't even know. I didn't know that was possible, but that's cool. And then uh, once uh, you, you'll have them back within typically 10 calendar days of my receiving your package. Yep. That definitely was similar to my experience. I actually, I got done talking to Jeff and Jeff told me, he told me where the ESP dealers were in Minnesota. And I think, I want to say they were all in the cities or to the south of me. And so I, I went outside of the ESP dealer network, just looked, Googled, you know, hearing something or other in Duluth where I'm at and found a couple, made one call, had an appointment later that afternoon, went in, got my molds. I was there for, you know, 20 minutes maybe and was out of there, went straight to the post office, sent them to ESP. And I, I don't think it was 10 days later and, and I had my ESP. So incredibly simple. Yep. Yeah, and, and you mentioned uh, to find a, uh, a hearing aid place. Uh, what I found the simplest is just do uh, a Google search with the words hearing aids and then your zip code. Yep. yep. And it'll bring up a list of everybody that's close to you. <laughs> yep, for sure. That part was very simple. You know, I didn't have this on my outline, but I think it would be worth talking about because I'm sure a lot of people ask you, and I don't know how, how much you can speak to it, but tell me about any if at all, opportunities for folks to use insurance or HSAs or FSAs or anything to buy ESPs. I, what, where are we at with that? I know a lot of the times, you know, this stuff is well, it's not necessary and so nothing is covered, but what, right. what are some tips and tricks we could have there, Jack? Well, hearing aid, uh, uh, hearing aid insurance typically does not cover these because they are considered hearing protection. Okay. So insurance generally doesn't cover this. Uh, they are eligible to be paid for with HSA and FSA, health savings account or flexible spending account money. Okay. Uh, we, can, we can process those. The technicality is you are supposed to have a letter of medical necessity from a doctor. N- nobody ever gets that, and I've never heard of anybody getting questioned about it. Sure. It's just, we just run the credit card and it goes through. So from that aspect. Now, the other interesting part is if you are in a profession... Mm-hmm. that requires hearing protection, such as you're a dentist uh, in construction or something to that nature, Right. Uh, these can be also tax-deductible as safety equipment. Okay. So definitely something to look into if folks are considering that. And I think the price of, of this high-quality electronic hearing, I think most folks kind of go down those avenues and they check that out. But certainly worth considering and, and checking out to make sure check all those boxes on possible opportunities to uh, improve the value proposition there. Mm-hmm. So where are, this is the thing that I've always, I've wondered about and because I think technology has a way of, 
evolving, as we've all seen, and I have no doubt that will continue in the hearing world. Is there anything you can point to, Jack, to kind of say, this is where we are headed? What are the things that ESP is looking at in the future? Is it just continuing to improve the microphone, speaker, circuitry? Are there any huge things that you're looking at in the future and say, wow, this could be a game changer? Um, No, not really, because the the basic functionality of an electronic earplug does not change with technology per se. The earplug is your protection. There's an amplifier that lets you hear through the earplug, and then that earplug has to have protection so it doesn't over-amplify the gunshots. So the, the basic functionality from day one to today has not changed, and it's not going to change. Yeah. I mean, that's just the nature of what we do. People try to compare this to noise cancellation technology, right? And which is typically in the headphones. Noise cancellation does not work for gunfire for a number of reasons. The simplistic answer is, one is the way noise cancellation works is it samples the environmental sound, inverts it 180 degrees, reintroduces that sound into the ear cup, and then so it it cancels whatever noise you're listening to. It works best on steady-state noises. Yes like motors running, things like that. Like my lawnmower. Uh, right. Gunfire is just way too fast. Yep. Uh, if you look at gunfire on a graph, it's just a spike. You know, if you looked it out of the oscilloscope, you know, it's just a spike in the air. And in, actu- and in actuality, the loudness of the, uh, when it becomes unsafe, is a very brief, brief period of time. It, it's not long at all. So gunfire, and this is something we, we didn't hit, hit on, with gunfire, it's really not the loudness that causes the damage. It's the air pressure shockwave getting into the inner ear okay. that causes the damage. So anything that provides a good acoustic seal to keep that blast of air, if you will, from getting into the ear is giving you as good a protection as you're going to get. So the, the protection levels can really not get a whole lot better until we start putting in plugs and then putting muffs over the ears and then putting on a motorcycle helmet, right. and then putting our head in a vacuum. You know, it, 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 there's a lot of diminishing returns uh, when it comes to hearing protection. So from that aspect, no, there's, I, don't, I don't see any major breakthroughs in hearing protection in general. What you see in the marketplace is a lot of fancy bells and whistles that people are producing in their electronic earplugs, which for the most part are non-consequential to the the real-world use. Sure. Uh, one of the things that we've stuck with that other, other players are not doing is we stuck with the rotary volume control. So you can fine-tune the volume to specifically exactly what level you want. Uh, other players use a push-button volume control. So you push, you know, they typically four times. Uh, so you get level one, level two, level three, and level four. Mm-hmm. And it's preset to that volume. Well, the problem with that is, what if the level that you want is somewhere between number three and number four? You can't get there. So that's, that's a downside to that type of technology. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that people have thrown out there, and we've, we've tested it and we've done it, is what they call multi-memory. And that's kind of like presets on your stereo, that you have a uh, tone control that's preset for rock and roll, another one for news, another one for easy listening music or mm-hmm. opera, uh, th- those types of things. So 
and they, they, they tout them as, oh, one's a range mode, one's a hunting mode, one's a extreme sound mode, uh, stuff like that. Well, what we found is 98% of the people picked one, one mode and left it there anyway. Right. So yep. why, why, go, why go through all that fuss? And just like, you know, with yourself, you're saying, well, you know, I put this into my ear, what, what do I really want? Well, you just want to be able to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, from a simplicity standpoint, it would be ideal if we could sit you down, tune them to one volume for your hearing, for your, yourself, what you like, and not even have a volume control. It's either on or off. Right. And then that way you can't play with it. You just forget about it. And they've done that a lot with hearing aids nowadays. There are no volume controls on hearing aids. It's, it's custom-tuned for you, and that's what you get. Uh, the other thing that's technology that everybody seems to think is a hot button is Bluetooth. Yeah. And Bluetooth, uh, I've, I've, in fact, very recently learned some interesting things about it. Bluetooth Generation 1 is basically open source. It's free to everybody. So the cost associated with that is slim. Uh, it's really not a lot. But Generation 1 has some inherent problems. One is the sound quality is not that great. Number two is it's very power-hungry. It eats batteries something crazy. So not a good choice for going out hunting. Yep. You know, if you're going on a deer, deer trip for three or four or five days and you have to change batteries twice a day because you got your Bluetooth turned on, not a good scenario. Generation 2 Bluetooth cost big bucks to get that. It's a licensing type scenario. And yes, the sound is better on that, but it's very expensive. If, so if you look at, you know, you can go uh, onto Amazon and buy a Bluetooth cell phone headset for 1995. Yep. That's generation one. Does, and it'll, it'll last you six months and then you're buying a new one. Or you go on there and buy a set of Beats or, or you know, Harman Kardon or something like that and pay two three hundred dollars for it you know that's the difference yep so the and the other scenario in in my mind is if i'm out hunting why do i need to have bluetooth i mean the sound quality of listening to your um uh music is not going to be that great through it uh because we're not designed for music per se yeah and if phone calls you're probably outside of cell service anyway <laughs> yeah, and I don't want them. <laughs> I, and, unless, uh, I don't want Siri talking to me, telling me I got a text message. <laughs> right. And, and then the other aspect, too, comes into play. Another technology is rechargeable. Yes. Rechargeable units. Sounds good in concept. It works great in the hearing aid world because you go to bed at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. You put your hearing aids in the recharging module, and they're all charged up the next morning. Well, again, go back to that hunting trip scenario. Well, I don't have a way to recharge them while I'm out in deer camp or goose camp, and they're not. They're, you can't alternate between rechargeable and and static batteries. So if once they go dead, you're out. Of, you're out of luck. Yeah, you're hunting, and your battery dies because you forgot to charge it or whatever. With the replaceable ones, you can right. you can pop a new set in, and you're good to go. Yeah. And the other thing is is you know like we know with all our other like rechargeable devices, there's only only so many cycles of recharging that they'll take. Yeah. Well, I have to imagine that. I mean, I would think at some point rechargeable will maybe, I mean, I know it's entered this world to a certain extent, but I, I suppose, yeah, at the time it does, it's nice to be able to pop in a fresh set of batteries and be good to go. Now on that note, something I didn't ask you about, I want to ask you two questions 
circling back to something earlier, let's talk battery life. If I pop a fresh battery into my ESPs, how long can I expect them to run? About 300 hours or six weeks, whichever comes first. Yeah, hearing aid batteries are a zinc air technology. They're air activated. That's why they had that little paper tab on the battery. Yep. Once you pull that tab off, the battery's good for six to eight weeks, whether you use it or not. Okay. But in, in a continuous use environment, uh, you'll get about 300 hours. Typical hearing aid user with batteries gets uh, five to seven days out of their batteries. That's a long and time. they change their batteries out. They wear, yeah, they, they wear them out. Uh, in our world, we tend to hit the calendar before we wear out the battery. Sure. So, yeah, but even putting these things in, turning them on and off, six to eight weeks before you replace the battery or 300 hours if you wear them consistently. But that's a long time. That's not put them in one day and have to replace them halfway through your hunt. I mean, not even close. Not even close. Nope. Cool. Okay, and then the other thing, you mentioned it earlier that folks will put these things in, they kind of will crank the volume up thinking they want to hear. What is there a tip or a method that you that you walk people through to get them tuned and get them to the right volume, do I do I put them in and do some kind of a test? What do you tell people? Well, what I uh, the one thing that I figured out is all of our TVs nowadays have a volume control that has a number scale. Yep. And so, it, you know, depending on the brand of TV, you know, on on our TV we typically listen at number ten volume. So I basically say, sit down in front of the TV, set your TV to what your normal listening level is. Put your ESPs in, and then start playing with the volume until it sounds like what I normally listen to Got it. when I'm watching TV. Then get up and go outside and listen to what the real world sounds like, and then you know turn them off, turn them back on, reset the volume, go back into the TV. TV's still on number 10. Does it sound like it did when you walked out? And just start getting used to what normal. We have to train our brain mm-hmm. to what the sound is going to be. And then once we get our brain trained to say, this sounds normal, and you, you, you will very quickly learn where to set the volume for normal listening. Now, if you're in a deer stand or out hog hunting or something like that, where you are in the stalking mode, if you will, uh, yeah, the bionic ear can, can be fun. You can turn them up. You know, yeah. Turn it up, and, yeah. and, and <laughs> funny little story. And this was back in the days when we were still in the, a little too bright environment of a way we tuned them. But young man went to a tree stand at O-Dark 30, put his ESPs on for the first time, cranked them up all the way, and almost fell out of his tree stand. <laughs> Something was coming up the tree to get him. Oh, boy. And it turned out it, it turned out to be a squirrel two trees away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, and myself, I, when I first got the company, I went out to one of our uh, local trap ranges, and it was uh, midweek, so there was really nobody there. And I went to meet with the owners. And I walked, while I was waiting for him to get, get free, I walked out to the range, and I could hear this bird chirping like crazy. I mean, just loud as can be. And I looked, looking around to see where it was, and it was like five trap ranges down, sitting on top of the light pole. And it was a sparrow chirping. Wow. And I had him, I had him up, turned up to the bionic ear level. And yeah, it was, it, it's interesting. Works great in the office too when you want to hear the conversation in the next room. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm actually I'm kind of excited to. I don't know if I'm going to deer hunt this year. I'm still thinking about it, but I would be. I would wear my ESPs in the deer stand for that reasons because a lot of times I feel like you feel like you hear a deer and I'm straining and I can't quite make it out. It'd be interesting to see if the ESPs would work. Yeah, 
the other the other thing is as far as getting used to them is put them on and do your daily life yes you know do do what you would do you know go out and do some chores in the yard take the dog for a walk um, take the dog yeah take the dog for a walk you know go play ball with the dog play fetch you know things like that just so that you forget that your conscious brain forgets that they're in your ears yep and you'll find typically once you get once you get used to ESVs and setting the volume to a reasonably normal level, within 10, 15 minutes putting them on, you're gonna, your conscious brain's going to forget they're in your ears, and the world is just going to sound normal to you. I've had many, many comments over the years that uh, after a round of uh, clays, they ended up at the, you know, the restaurant or back at the clubhouse. Hey, Joe, why do you still got your earplugs in? Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot. Yep. Or they drove home with them still in their ears. You get comments like that all the time that it's just, you know, I, I can't... I've had I've had people say I'd rather forget my gun at home than my ESPs. <laughs> well, that's good stuff, Jack. I'm going to keep wearing my ESPs. I'm going to be better about it, and I'm going to keep reporting back to the Project Upland listeners what uh, what my experience has been because I certainly owe them that and and owe that to you. So I'm going to keep doing that. I appreciate you coming on here to talk all about it, and I've learned some things and got more information on it. If folks are interested in learning more about electronic shooters protection where should they go espamerica.com is our website okay and we've got all the information there phone numbers on there 303-659-8844 and they can always email me at esp at usa.net perfect oh be happy to talk to anybody anytime i almost forgot i cannot let you go without asking you this real quick tell me about walking through the grouse woods with world champion clay shooter Andy Duffy, who was a previous guest on the podcast. I got to hear a report from somebody that actually got to hunt birds with him. Well, Andy's, Andy's a great guy, and yeah. uh, we, were, uh, we were there as guests of the hunt. We weren't participating in the competitive side of it. Okay. So we, we got to go out on some, uh, some private land that was uh, some of the owners in Minnesota. Yep. And so we got out there. It was, uh, it was a fairly okay day, but it was uh, two years ago. And it was, I think, one of the lowest bird count years ever that they had. We had, I think we, we saw six birds. Four of them were out of range when we saw them. Uh, had two flushes. Andy got one bird. We saw two or three woodcock that day. My Columbia boots decided to finally give up the ghost after 20-some years and <laughs> dry rotted and separated in the first puddle I stepped into. Of course, that was first thing in the morning, so walked around all day with a wet foot. But Andy has some great uh, has a great dog that we worked with uh, yep. that we had a little trouble finding at one point in time, and thanks to ESPs, <laughs> uh, we could hear that uh, w- which ridge the dog took off over, and, and she came back, and that wasn't a problem. Yeah. Uh, no, hunting with Andy is fun. Uh, he was a little frustrated, me being the novice hunter shooter. That there was, I, I almost had a shot at one bird, but of course it was one of those situations where the bird flushed right close to you on the right and flew left, and of course you're tangled up in all the aspens and trying to turn around. I just couldn't. <laughs> there was no room to swing the barrel. The trees were in the way. Yeah. Yeah, yep. so I couldn't even get around to it. But if you got time, I got one other rough grouse story. Let's the hear first it. time I went to the hunt, well, I, I've been to the hunt, uh, the the hunt a couple of times, but didn't actually go hunting. The first time they let sent me out hunting again, it was non competitive part. Walking down the trail and bird on the left hand side of the trail flushes. I get it. My first rough grouse. No way. First shot at a rough grouse. No way. Got it. <laughs> way. What I didn't know. 
is upon the shot, there was another bird on the right side of the trail. It launches. I swing on it. I shoot it. I see feathers fly. We never did find the bird. Oh, man. What a bummer. So here, the novice shooter that's never shot at a rough grouse almost had a true double in the first first outing. Almost had a double in the bag, knocked feathers <laughs> off the second bird. Unbelievable. That's that's quite a way to start. We, we had two dogs, two dogs, four guys, and uh, searched for 40 minutes. Never did see that bird. And they tell me that... Yeah, you can hit a grouse and knock some feathers off, and they're tough birds. Yeah, it's that's one of those interesting things. They, you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, grouse are not the hardest birds to bring down, but there's a, you absolutely can knock feathers off a bird and not recover it. And in fact, I've actually had it happen to me a couple times recently, and it's it's a really crappy feeling, but it does happen. It's part of hunting. Yep. Yeah, and you don't know if did you just knock some feathers off or did you wound the bird? That's the hard part. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Jack, I appreciate all the time today. Thank you for coming on and and sharing with us more about electronic shooters protection. As I promised you, I will keep talking about them on the podcast, and I look forward to it. And we'll talk to you in the future, all right? Put them in your ears and leave them there. I'm going to do it. And forget about them. (laughs) (laughs) That's the plan, Jack. All right, Nick. I appreciate it. Yep. You have a great day. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. Quick reminder that this episode was brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA Shotguns, Gumleaf USA, Dog Trick Collars, ESP Hearing Protection, Trinity Kennels, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to visit projectupland.com to read, watch, and listen to more great upland hunting content. And please, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, leave the podcast a rating and a review that really helps us out and it helps more people find the show. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Up and Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.